You are listening to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. My name is Stephanie and I'm a wife, mother of four, and the creator of the blog Simple Living Made Simple, formerly winging it on the homestead. I am far from an expert, but I am learning and growing and figuring the simple living self-sufficiency thing out as I go. I love to help encourage modern mothers to incorporate simple living and self-sufficiency skills and knowledge into their busy lives. Join me this season as I interview homesteading experts on a variety of timely and important topics and share with you my appreciation for creating a homemade and homegrown life through gardening, food preservation, cooking from scratch, making your own products, all while keeping it all practical, intentional, and realistic. You're listening to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. In this episode, I got the chance to talk with Katie from the Homesteading RD over on Instagram. Katie is a dietitian and homesteader for over 10 years. She and her husband have five acres in central Minnesota where they have several large gardens and raise chickens for both eggs and meat. What they don't produce themselves, they source from other local small farms as much as possible. Katie's passion is teaching others how to become more self-sufficient in easy, sustainable steps. Her background as a dietitian started out in clinical nutrition, working in large metro hospitals. Over the years, she came to realize how broken our health system is and how much damage has been done to our bodies. Conventional medicine is too focused on treating rather than healing. She finally made the switch to functional nutrition in 2021 and loves the ability to help her clients correct their health issues from the root cause. Getting back to basics and focusing on real food really is the way forward. I just love the conversation we had. Uh, Katie is knowledgeable and passionate, and we talked all about the real benefits of real food and how important it is to your health. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. I am so excited today for my guest. She has a really awesome Instagram where she shares all kinds of knowledge on real food, holistic medicine, all kinds of things. And I'm so excited to have her here today. Her name is Katie from the Homesteading RD. Hi, Katie. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your home, your homestead, your business, and like why you chose and how you got into this lifestyle? Yes, absolutely. I have a a unique path. I feel like I have, you know, several different paths that started out very individualized and then on their own tracks, and then they all kind of merged together at the end. So I'll start with my homesteading journey. So it all started when I was first married in 2008. My husband and I lived in a very small home with a tiny yard in um, Kansas City. And that was before I even really knew what homesteading was per se. I grew up in the city, so I'm I uh, was never grew up in the country or anything, but I just had this I'm a very independent person at heart and we were, you know, strapped for money at that point. We were living paycheck to paycheck and so it was just kind of natural for me to want to do things on my own as much as possible. So it was like starting a garden, um, you know, learning how to can food. I was sewing a lot of my own clothes, um, making things as much as I can, learning how to fix things instead of buying things. And that's really where it started on a small scale. Mm -hmm. And then we fast forward to 
2013, we decided to move to Minnesota. So that's where I'm from originally. And we moved in with my parents for a while while we were um, searching and we knew we wanted land. My husband grew up on like a farm rural setting and I always loved going out there and I've I'm an animal lover. And so we just kind of knew that was for us. And of course, I wanted to expand my gardening. So we found the perfect five acre little rundown homestead. It needed a lot of work, but the price point worked for us. We moved in. And over the years, we've been here for almost 10 years now. And um, just every year adding a little bit on. So I think that's the key takeaway for anyone wanting to get into it. Don't feel like you have to tackle all the things at once. Uh, it's definitely been a slow add. So we started with the gardens the first year. The year after that, we added some egg laying chickens. But I just started with five. You know, now I have like 50, but um, <laughs> just kind of slowly go growing from there. Then we added on meat chickens. Mm -hmm. um, I've really been exploring herbal medicine. So trying to figure out what plants are growing on my own property wild and utilizing them. So been a really fun journey and um, really kind of becoming part of the homesteading community as well. And then as far as the other track of my journey goes is my dietitian world. So I am a traditionally trained dietitian. I did the formal schooling at University of Nebraska. And then I went on and did my master's degree and internship in Kansas City. And I had a strong calling to acute care nutrition. So working in a big hospital, you know, tackling the big stuff, big cases, fast paced, you know, lots of challenges that way. And I did enjoy it for a long time. It was a good challenge. I loved, you know, placing feeding tubes and being involved in complex cases. But as the years wore on, I started to recognize like mm -hmm. how unfulfilling it was really. Um, it's all kind of, we were helping patients survive, but not thrive. And at the end of the day, I didn't have that many interventions. It was just like boost and enter and tube feeding formula and low quality hospital food. You know, I wasn't really nourishing my patients. And so it, uh, a couple of years ago, I started to really do some soul searching and figure out well, what is my calling like this is yeah. not and I know we'll get into conventional medicine in a bit to <laughs> dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and functional medicine and functional nutrition is a really big up and coming segment of medicine It's the fastest growing segment um, out there, which is amazing and so exciting. And I that's the direction I decided to go. I was like, you know, I, I want to help people heal instead mm -hmm. of just helping them survive, you know, a, a, a big, a catastrophic event. And so I up and I quit my job, you know, after 11 years in that environment in August of 2021. And it was a total start over. I was, um, I went back to school for functional nutrition. Cause that is something I was not taught a lick about at all, you know, okay. in, in my traditional schooling. So I had to kind of start fresh. And in that whole restart is where my now business, the Homesteading RD bloomed from. It was not something I had any intention of doing. <laughs> I didn't have any plan to be a business owner or entrepreneur or a influencer, I guess, if you want to call it that. But as I was sitting 
in my basement by myself day after day doing my online schoolwork. I really missed that community and that ability to teach people and connect with people. And I'd always had my little Instagram account, you know, I would post little like things mm -hmm. I was working on and growing and chicken stuff, but I never actually tried to grow it. And I just had this feeling like, why not? Let's yeah. try it. Like, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> and so I was just kind of throwing some things out there and it was starting to catch and it was really fun. And not only that, now all of a sudden I had way more time to do all the home yeah. studying things because up until then. I was working full time. I was commuting, you know, up to two hours a day and then trying to do, you know, little homesteading things where I could. Right. Where now I was like, this is my time. Let's do it. And uh, um, and yeah, eventually developed a website over the winter, which is uh, a nice restful time for us in Minnesota. There's not much going on. Everything's yeah. frozen. So that was my time <laughs> to really start developing the website. It just kept growing and growing and it's been really exciting. So I love the homesteading RD because I can finally bring the two pieces to my world together. Yeah, that's so. definitely what it sounds like. Like your two sides just kind of collided. It did. And like, yeah. that's awesome. Helps me feel very whole. It's just, it's very yeah. completing. I, I love it. So I bet. And I, I love how hearing stories like that, where like you're able to also be self-sufficient in like your you're financially, you know, and your business and all that kind of thing. And like, take care of yourself that way. That's really inspiring. Absolutely. As well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Being a self-sufficient person, the, the idea of being able to have my own business is yeah. very alluring and, and fulfilling too. And so <laughs> I have full control over it, which is great. That's awesome. Um, so you were talking about that you're a registered dietitian. Um, and I know that on your Instagram, you cover a lot about the healing benefits of like real food. And I know that a lot of people get into homesteading or are encouraged by homesteading, inspired by homesteading because of the food, right? That's kind of like main, main reason. Um, so can, and we all know that obviously food is real food is good for you, but could you tell me a little bit more about like what is considered real food in your realm, you know, and um, what are some of the benefits that you'd say? Great question. So I think getting back to real food is the best thing that anyone can do. And it's the first thing that I work with, work on with my clients in my dietitian world space. Mm -hmm. And it's the most impactful. And really what real food is, is we're talking about one ingredient foods. So it's a banana, it's a, you know, mm -hmm. a, a steak, it's, it's eggs, that type of thing. Nothing that comes in a box or a bottle mm -hmm. or a bag, that type of a thing. Mm -hmm. And really just learning how to cook from scratch and, and making wholesome meals. And, and of course, if you can grow it yourself, all the better, because then it's super mm -hmm. fresh, you have full control over what's being put on that food, the soil it's grown in, and all those wonderful things. And yeah, so the, the, the real food, the whole foods themselves, of course, have lots of nutritional value, lots of fiber. But I think the other big piece is that they don't have a lot of things that are typically in our processed food. So um, if you look at processed food, it is hard to find anything without industrialized seed oils anymore. I want to encourage any of you who's listening to go open your fridge door, open your cupboard and just start reading labels. It's shocking. That's been something I've been on a mission to try and cut out of our household in the last few years. And it's hard 
So like mm -hmm. canola oil, cottonseed oil, sunflower seed oil, soy oil, soybean oil, it's in everything. And it's mm -hmm. very, very inflammatory. Um, sugar is another big one too. And artificial sugars, um, artificial sweeteners, like gums and just all that stuff that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, have on your shelf that you can find as an ingredient in the grocery store, all those industrialized um, ingredients is just kind of fake food, right? Yeah. It's not something that our bodies are made. They're edible, but they're not truly going to serve us. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the biggest thing too, is once you get to cooking real whole foods from scratch, you're getting rid of a lot of those that can cause all sorts of issues, whether it's gut issues, inflammation, um, even uh, just causing damage to our DNA and our mitochondria, which is our little energy powerhouse in our cells. So that is that is the big thing that I see helping uh, turn turn the health around for my clients. Definitely. Um, so how do you incorporate real foods into your diet? Yeah, so the best way to do that, in my opinion, is meal planning. So it's really hard to just do it on a whim and just grab things. Yeah. Meal planning isn't necessarily fun. I can only think of a couple of people off the top of my head who truly enjoy it. Um, yeah. I do yeah. it, you know, out because I know how important it is. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you dread it every time, no, you're not alone. But it is, I feel like, the best way to get into yeah. eating whole real foods. So like pick a dedicated day for me, it's Sunday afternoon, I sit down, write down what I'm going to be cooking for the week. And then the beauty of that is it makes the week a lot less stressful because you know exactly what you're going to be preparing. And then if you have all the ingredients in your fridge, you have to cook them, or at least I do. I hate food waste. So, you know, if I'm feeling lazy one day or I'm tempted to, you know, eat something quicker, you know, if that those ingredients are in the fridge, I'm like, no, I, I should cook it. It helps keep me on track, keeps me accountable. <laughs> I think that's definitely a good point, especially when, if you're just starting to get into this. Um, so yeah, having a, a, a meal plan would help you like keep on track. I tend to rebel if I have a meal plan, but I know it's important. And so, but I, I guess keep like a pretty well-stocked whole foods pantry and, and everything. So perfect. I know what I can make at any given time. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, but I've been doing it for a long time and you know, so, but if you're just starting out me, I agree. Meal planning would be very yeah. helpful. And thank you for bringing that up. Everyone is different. And you know, mm -hmm. if, if you operate in a different way and it works for you, awesome. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, I like that you brought up that you have a lot of bulk items on hand. That's mm -hmm. the other thing that I feel like is very helpful having those items that you like to eat frequently. So for example, I have a 40 pound bag of brown rice always available. Yeah. I have a deep freeze full of really good high quality organic meats from my local CSA. And of course, mm -hmm. your own preserved fruits and veggies if you're doing that. And then, yeah, it makes it easy where if you're in a tight spot, you need to whip something up, you have them available. Right. You don't have to order takeout because you have all the things on you. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in more getting into more of the real food and eliminating all the processed stuff. I think we do a pretty good job over here, but yeah, I want to like take it to that, that next level. So I think it's just finding alternatives too is helpful. And sometimes just cooking real food is just simpler, you know? 
then mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. It doesn't have to be this complex, elaborate meal. Like right. that's what I had to get over, you know, yeah. for years I would use these, they were delicious, amazing recipes. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing that every evening, it can be really time intensive. Oh, yeah. So there's nothing wrong with just a baked potato, you know, some chicken on the grill and, you know, some cooked up carrots or something like that or something, yeah. just side vegetable. It doesn't have to be this big mm-hmm. complex meal. They're fun every once in a while, but yeah, you don't have awesome. to overcomplicate things. One of the things that I find really intriguing about your Instagram and something you recently covered, you did kind of like a tough truth, conventional medicine, um, and like how it kind of affected what or what you learned at being a um, RD. So can you tell me more about that? Yeah, absolutely. This is a a tough topic and a really big topic. So hopefully you can cover all the little bits, but I think the biggest realization for me being trained conventionally and then working in a conventional Mm -hmm. uh, environment for 11 years is just how reactionary it was and more just symptom management. Even as a dietitian, you know, if someone had um, acid reflux, we would just talk about some basic symptom management things. I was never taught the root causes of acid reflux and how to tackle it that way. Same with constipation or any of those things. It was more just management. And so, um, and I feel like a lot of that's very similar in the medicine world too. It's just a prescription, you know, for anything like, again, if you have acid reflux, they'll give you a PPI. If you have constipation, they'll give you, you know, tell you to do Miralax. There's never that digging further down, taking the time to really identify what got us to this point in the first place and go upstream and tackle it there. So you can truly heal your body. And so I feel like that is is the big shift that I have seen and personally done in my practice. Now I'm working in the functional world and it's challenging, especially I want to say for acute care. So in the hospital, I think a lot of people like to point fingers and are kind of black and white. And I'm kind of in the middle, like in the hospital for that kind of critical point There's not a lot of options at that point. You know, the body is so broken. Modern medicine is probably the only option at that point. I think there is a time and a place for antibiotics, you know, for surgery, for some big medications when your life is on the line. And I just want to say to, I want to give a shout out to my frontline people in acute care. I, whenever I speak out against conventional medicine, I, I never want them to feel like I'm speaking out against mm-hmm. them because 99% of them are amazing people. The nurses, the doctors, they really do truly care about their patients and want to do the best for them. And I've met some incredible people and worked alongside them, but their hands are tied you know, A, you know, they're only trained in that conventional way. And B, again, when the body is so broken in that catastrophic state, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of options left. So really where the work needs to be done is upstream from that. Now I will say before I move on, I think nutrition world, there's a lot better things that we can do for hospital medicine. For example, what I was kind of talking about on Instagram that you were Mm -hmm. referring to were the tube feeding formulas that we were using. 
there are way better ingredients that we can use. So tube feeding is a product that you put down a feeding tube into mm -hmm. a patient if they can't eat or drink. And so the main ingredients in those products are soy protein, um, usually canola oil and um, corn syrup. I mean, it's yeah. terrible. It's terrible. Like I would never feed um, any family members that that's for mm -hmm. sure. So I think there's a lot of room for improvement there and um, and the food isn't that great either. So I think there's definitely um, some improvement. And the yeah. other thing that's tricky is hospitals. Most hospitals, they they don't have a lot of funds, you know, finances have been tough. I've been involved in a lot of financial conversations for years at the hospital. So yeah, it's a very broken kind of hard, challenging world yeah. there. So really where I, I like to move my efforts to is upstream. So right. I would say like 99% of what I saw in the hospital was preventable. So really we need to start going upstream and helping mm -hmm. people correct things early or prevent those things from happening in the first place. And right. that's really, we're going to make our greatest improvements and our yeah. most impact. And so what are those things? So getting back to real food, honestly, that is like yeah. the best thing. So just wholesome, real ingredients, you know, from the earth, nothing out of a factory, cooking mm -hmm. from scratch, and really taking care of our bodies. I feel like we operate in a very fast paced world now where we're rushing from one thing to another. We're cutting sleep. We're stressed. We're not exercising. We're not moving our bodies. There's screens everywhere. Um, and so really just slowing down and being intentional, um, trying to limit what toxins we're exposed to. All of those things add up and if you're starting to have some you know, imbalances or symptoms or unresolved issues, get in touch with a functional provider so you can start to get to the bottom of what, what's going on before it becomes a big catastrophic event <clears throat> where conventional medicine is, is your life-saving option at that point. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now you keep saying functional medicine. I'm, and honestly, I've never heard that term before. How is that a really new term? And like, does that like, like you said, is the basis of that dealing or like preventing things before they even start? Is that kind of how you look at it? Or could you just give me like, ex explain that a little bit? Yeah, great question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so it is a new segment of medicine, mm -hmm. new, but old. So it's how we yeah. used to operate <laughs> before right. conventional medicine. And so what it is, is so it's, you can still work with a MD um, mm -hmm. or a dietitian too, if, if, if you need kind of more of like a nutrition side of things and what well, fun it's the full name is like integrative and functional medicine. So yeah. it's, getting away from prescriptions, but they might be used in a very tailored yeah. way if really needed, but largely doing extensive lab work so we can really see mm -hmm. where the imbalances are, largely using lifestyle change and supplements. So it is very supplement heavy to help address some issues. Whole food helps right. a lot, but sometimes we do mm -hmm. need to do more of a therapeutic supplement dose of, you know, like magnesium or um, all sorts of different things we have in our tool belt. And the tricky thing with functional medicine is that insurance doesn't really recognize us yet. Mm. So it's often out of pocket. And then since we're not using prescriptions, we use supplements, which 
insurance typically doesn't cover either. So mm -hmm. it can get expensive, but it's it's absolutely worth it in my opinion. And my hope is as it, it's the fastest growing segment of medicine out there and more and more people are turning to it. So my hope is that insurance companies will start to recognize it, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a ton of faith, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> right. So just to like get clear on these terms, um, like, so like holistic and functional, like how do they work together? Are they the same thing? Are they different? Yeah, I'd say they're very similar. I'd say they're yeah. kind of in the middle between conventional and like true herbal medicine. Okay. Um, kind of definitely aim more on the herbal side than conventional, but it's kind of a good bridge between. Gotcha. That's good to say. Yeah. 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 And I love it too, because it really looks at the body as a whole. So mm -hmm. in conventional medicine, you have your foot doctor and you have mm -hmm. your ENT doctor, and then you have your dermatologist where in functional medicine, we really view the body as a network and can see how everything interacts and works together and how certain things will impact others. So it's just a really great holistic, comprehensive way yeah. to get to the bottom of whatever might be out of whack. So how would you find a functional medicine doctor? Like, would you just, are they listed that way? Or are you, there's some kind of qualifications in a doctor that you're looking for if that's the route you want to go? Great question. So there are some certifications. Um, so for me, it's IFNCP. So that's for the nutrition side of things. But um, most, I would say eh, there's a decent amount of virtual clinics, which is really cool. I think that is the one positive that has come out of 2020 is yeah. the virtual clinics really blew up, which makes it way more accessible for people. Mm -hmm. So, and you don't even necessarily have to see a provider in your own state as long as, you know, the licensure stuff works out. So um, there is a... Uh, website. I'm trying to think what it is. You can just Google uh, functional medicine provider and it'll come mm -hmm. up. I want to say it's IFM is the name of the, the group, okay. but yeah, that's a great place to start. Awesome. That's great. Um, and I think like people here recently that's are looking a lot towards that for one reason or another are looking to, um, be a little bit more holistic and find ways to treat and prevent instead of just, well, to heal and prevent than to just treat, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's more work. I will say, you I'm know, sure. to like truly heal your gut, for example, it might be a yeah. multi-month thing um, versus, you know, a 10 day course of antibiotics that your doctor might give you, which mm -hmm. of course will lead to all sorts of other issues, right. but it's, it's worth the work. It's worth the time. And you get to learn a lot about yourself in the process, which mm -hmm. is pretty neat. Yeah. So, um, I'm sure you know, obviously as a homesteader and um, someone who's into being self-sufficient, um, there's like a certain level of discipline, you know, that goes into that. And I like to ask everyone kind that I have on here kind of about this, because I like to know how they function and actually do it in a daily um, way. So what does your discipline look like? Great question. So thankfully, I'm a natural, naturally disciplined person to begin with. So yeah. I think that helps quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But my secret to success is twofold. I'm a big list maker, I like mm -hmm. to do lists. That's I thrive on that. That works really yeah. well for me. 
The other thing that works really well is having dedicated days for dedicated tasks. Because mm. otherwise it's so easy to just be like, well, I'll do that tomorrow. Well, I'll do yeah. that tomorrow. So like, right. for example, I mentioned Sunday afternoon, that's my meal planning. Monday is my raw milk run. You know, Wednesday, I make kombucha. Thursday <laughs> is bumblefoot day. So our chickens ugh, always end up with some bumblefoot issue yeah. in the summer so you have a day dedicated to bumblefoot <laughs> yeah thursday night my husband and i go out and do that thing wow. and so yeah i feel like that that is very beneficial it's not you know i'm not super strict with it if i have right. things around yeah. that's fine but generally it works really well keeps me on track i often wonder we have um 14 chickens and i often cool. wonder how someone with 50, 60 chickens manages their health or even like knows what chickens are doing. You know what I mean? Like able to manage and maintenance them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely a feat sometimes, especially when we have the bumblefoot. I think at one point yeah. we're up to 13 chickens with bumblefoot. Wow. We're individually so first of the month, we always do a foot, a foot check and a flock check. So that's another yeah. thing that I do monthly. Um, it's worth it. I didn't uh, start checking for it until just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I noticed it, my laying improved greatly. Really? Once I started to actually check in and, and treat yeah. it promptly. So I think, you know, and looking for mites, looking for lice yeah. on a monthly basis is is a great way to do that. Do it at night when they're roosting. It's a whole lot easier than trying to catch them during the tip. day. Yeah, that's a good tip. <laughs> Another thing that one of the reasons that I really love your Instagram too, is that you cover like a wide range of homesteading topics. It's like you cover the dietitian stuff, but then you also do the chickens and you do, I don't know, all kinds of things. So what is a skill that you have mastered and could teach or talk about all day? Ooh, I would say chickens are definitely my go-to. Yeah. Uh, I run a blog on my website with a lot of very different categories, but the chickens are the ones I get the most excited about. And I probably yeah. po do too many blog posts on chickens. So I'm sorry <laughs> to you people out there that are just there for the gardening topics, but yeah, chickens are something I did not expect to fall in love with. And I did yeah. when we first got chickens, like our homestead came with a little coop. So I was like, oh, we'll get some chickens. Sure, we'll get some eggs. What I didn't realize is how fun they really are. They each have yeah. their own little personalities. They follow me around the yard. And yeah, it's just a joy to have them around. I would say that's probably my my favorite topic, but really they're all just so fun. I, I really enjoy talking about all the things. Yeah. And you're doing, you've done meat chickens many times. Yes. That's another yeah. passion of mine and something that I feel is intimidating for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but it's actually really easy. And so yeah. I have a couple articles on my, on my blog on raising meat chickens. So if anyone listening is curious, definitely go check those out. Yeah. And it was one of my hottest topics on my Instagram. Anytime I would post about our meat chickens, it would yeah. just blow up people wanting to learn more. So I'm actually getting ready to build a course on how to raise meat chickens, oh, including, awesome. yeah, including the butchering videos and everything. That's the biggest need I can sense from yeah. anyone. I can't post that on Instagram, you know, right. like <laughs> butchering videos that would not right. go over very well, but it's, it's a stress point, you know, mm -hmm. taking an animal's life is not something to be done lightly and without, you know, some knowledge. 
And, you know, I want to provide that for people to do it as humanely as possible and, and do it the right way. So more to come on that. I'm hoping to get it out later this spring. And we already filmed it all last fall when we did all of our butchering. I just have to put it together. That sounds awesome. I'm, we, I did a lot of research on having meat chickens last year. Yeah. Uh, We just weren't able to get it together to do this year. Now that all the research and I have plans. I, uh, we're going to do it this year. We're going to start with like a smaller, just cause I don't know. We'll see. Um, good idea to start small. Yeah. Just like one batch small and then we'll probably do another batch, but yeah. What, what breed are you going to do? I'm that I'm not sure. I haven't, I don't know, but, um, if you have any recommendations, I would love to hear them. I do. Yeah. I just, I actually just put a blog post out a few weeks ago yeah, on I'll the seven best meat chicken. Breeds, okay. Perfect. My personal favorite are rangers so there's a lot of different each hatchery calls it their own trade name so you'll find red rangers freedom rangers rud rangers i think that's what's uh confusing me a bit is that they all call different things essentially the same thing that's just their own company name so i love them because they are faster or slower growing than the cornish cross so the cornish cross are the freaky fast um yeah i yeah, I don't know if I was going to go with them or not. <laughs> yeah, there it's typically what you'll find at the grocery store. I don't like the Cornish cross because you shouldn't put the chicks out on pasture until they're two weeks old. And then if they finish out at six to eight weeks, I mean, you're they're only on grass for four to six yeah. weeks. That's not a lot of time for them to get that nutrition from the greens and the right. bugs into their bodies not to mention they have a lot of health issues because they grow so fast yeah I've heard if you don't do them at the right time they can have birth or something you have to take their feet away at night otherwise they gorge themselves so the rangers I love they finish out slower so like my experience has been like 13 to 16 weeks something like that so about double but they're still fast enough where if you raise a dual purpose breed um they finish out way slower so we're talking 20 plus weeks so it's quite a time investment and their feed conversion is not as good so you spend a lot more money Mm -hmm. on feed so the rangers are kind of that happy medium that we've uh, I think we've been raising them for seven years now. Wow, that's awesome so time frame wise when are you starting your first batch of meat chickens this year then Great question. That there is an art to it, especially in Minnesota, where we have a very short summer I season. Bet. Yeah. So you want to order your chicks when it's warm out because they're outside without a heat lamp at two yeah. weeks old. So they're not even fully feathered. So you want to make sure right. it's decently warm, mm. but you don't want to wait too long to where it's freezing cold when you're butchering. That's not fun right. either. <laughs> so the sweet spot for us in Minnesota, at least, is the last week of May, first week of June. Um, Mm -hmm. that is perfect time that way you're butchering in August September and you're done before it gets too cold yeah and the nice thing about that too is the birds as they get older they can get stressed by heat so if you live in a warm climate make sure that they are chick stage in your hottest months Mm -hmm. and then cooler weather when they're bigger that makes sense Mm -hmm. do you feel like since you've been homesteading for quite a while now that you have the whole seasonality like blueprint worked out because for me that was that's been the 
one of the biggest things, hardest things to really map out for us is like figure out when things are supposed to be done, I guess. Although once you do, it makes it so much easier because like right now in the winter, you don't need to be worried about gardening, obviously, but yeah. you know, it's, so it's all cyclical and, and seasonal. Do you feel yeah. like you've got it down now? I do now for sure. I think the first couple of years, you're just like throwing things on the wall, waiting to yeah. see, see what'll stick. It's always Plus you want to do everything right now anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the biggest, most important thing you can do is take good records. That's something mm-hmm. I did from day one. And so I actually have a, it's called the ultimate homestead planner oh, available in my little Etsy shop. And because that was the first thing I bought as a homesteader. And what really helped me excel is an organized way to write down when I'm doing what, take notes, track things, and then yeah. we can make it even better the next year. I think that's the best way to do it. And then yeah. other thing, it's something that was not available to me at the time, but it's available to you now is all these Instagram accounts. So people yeah. find people in your area and watch what they're doing. When are they doing certain things yeah, that's a good and point. just follow along. And so that's another thing that I've offered on my Instagram is I have a subscription option. Nice. And so I can, there I'm providing really in-depth what I'm doing when in real time, giving you links. I even just two days ago, I walked my subscribers through ordering meat chicken. So going through the website <sighs> together, what packages I'm picking, you know, nice skipping the vaccines, like picking what, what I find to be helpful. So if you're in a Northern climate, you know, feel free to join my subscription and I can provide really one-on-one help as well. So I love kind of brainstorming and and helping out my subscribers. And if you're not, maybe there's someone else in your area um, who offers a service like that. That sounds awesome. I'll put all the links um, in the show notes and and everywhere. So you guys can check that out. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and I think that's the other thing is like people that are drawn to homesteading are like, you know, they want to do it. They want to learn. They want to, you know, and so it's hard to kind of just be like, okay, I'm not going to learn everything this year. Obviously it's a lifelong learning process. Absolutely. (laughs) There's still a lot of things I want to do that I haven't gotten around to someday. Well, that's funny because that's what I always ask people at the end is what homesteading skills are you learning right now? Like what's, do you have anything on your goals this year to learn or what are you working on? Absolutely. So our next thing that I really want to tackle is maple syrup. So it's a big thing in my area and we have a lot of maple trees and we're at a point where we're ready to add on the next thing. So I don't have my supplies yet. That's on my to-do list this week because we're getting close to maple tapping, you know, like February, March. So that's the season for it. That's so the cool. season from what I've been told. So yeah. <laughs> still learning. And then I'm hoping my husband and I are going to build a, um, like a sap boiler type thing. So we need to awesome. get our act together and get that put together. <laughs> but I think that'll be fun. Um, yeah. Otherwise, that's probably the biggest thing. I've had making soap on my list for years. <laughs> I have all the supplies. I just yeah. need to do it. So right. that's the other thing that I would love to get into, but definitely cool. maple syrup that's happening. So awesome. That's really exciting. So where can my audience find you? Great question. So my website is www.thehomesteadingrd.com. So that is where I offer, it's largely blog posts on there. And I'm currently building out a 
secondary website for my courses. So the course I'm currently creating is on how to plan a garden step by step. So I'm going to walk you through, hold your hand through the whole process on everything you need to know to create a successful garden. So that one I'm hoping to launch without within the month. So that's going to be great. And then that meat chicken course will go on there. And then who knows what else after that. Yeah. And then of course my Instagram, the homesteading RD. I'm also on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those are the best places awesome. to find me. I have a little Facebook account, but it's nah. <laughs> I'll put all the links and everywhere to find you. Awesome. And everything. So awesome. Well, this was a really fun conversation. I felt I feel like we covered a lot of pieces. We yeah, that was all over the place, but it was great. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. I have a brand new guide out that is just perfect for this time of year. The Ultimate Fruit and Vegetable Seasonal Guide is now available and you can grab it for free at www.savemyveggies.com. If you are like me, you have thrown away produce that you just never got a chance to use. I used to do this all the time. Especially this time of year, as my harvest starts coming in, it can be difficult to properly store everything and make sure I either preserve it in time or use it up. That's why I created this guide. This guide has everything you need to stop wasting fruits and vegetables that you either grow yourself or purchase at the store. Learn how to properly store 25 plus fruits and vegetables to help them stay fresher longer. This guide also includes a month-by-month seasonal timeline so you know when to stock up on inexpensive and high-quality fruits and vegetables to save you time and money. Again, you can grab that free guide at www.savemyveggies.com. As always, if you have any questions, want gardening advice, or have a topic suggestion for the podcast, please email me at info at wingingitonthehomestead.com.